The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke, chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you this born is born this day in the city of David a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you you will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. May what I share be in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please be seated? I wonder if you've heard the longing that's been around this year, that Christmas would be more normal. Maybe you've felt it. I have. A more normal Christmas used to be 
working our guts out to put on amazing and impactful services and squeezing as many people into this building as we possibly could. My measure of success was great services and large numbers. If I was to bump into another church leader on any given January, I might say something like, how was your Christmas? But what I really mean is how many people did you get? A successful Christmas was better organised and smoothly delivered and more people than we had last year. I'm pretty sure we probably don't have too many church leaders here because they're off doing their own stuff. And you might find it completely unrelatable, what I've just said, but maybe you can relate to the idea of putting so much effort and energy and expense into one day to make or keep everyone happy, to make it better than last year, to create unforgettable memories. Everyone seems to want us to have the perfect Christmas, especially after a difficult few years. The term Christmas comes from Christ Mass. Mass is a service of Holy Communion. But the last couple of Christmas, Christmases have been a right Christ mess. But is the answer to jump straight on that treadmill that seeks to turn this year's Christmas into something bigger and better than last year's? There's so much, too much pressure on getting that one day a year right. Buying the right present for the right amount, not too much more than the other person spends on you, and it can't look too stingy. Creating the perfect menu, ensuring everyone's dietary requirements are met. Ensuring that there's no triggers to ignite current, past, or potential conflict between family or friends including everyone who expects to be included without excluding anyone who might have felt left out or isolated but still wanting some quiet personal time to yourself. Making sure that you are at the right side of the family this year and not to be seen to be showing any type of favouritism. I could go on and on and on. But when something happens outside of our control, when we can't meet or live up to the expectations that we place on ourselves or others place upon us, when our Christmas doesn't meet the stereotypical perfect Christmas because we find ourselves alone, grieving, struggling financially, burnt out, sick, or just not in the mood then we can often feel like we've failed at Christmas. We're living in a world that idolises easy answers, instant gratification and quick wins. But the hard reality is even if you were able to pull off the perfect Christmas, you'd wake up the very next day and find yourself another day older and deeper in debt. 
the problems that you had before Christmas won't be solved because your 25th of December was awesome. They'll still be, they'll still be there on Boxing Day or when you go back to work or to school, when you bump into that person and you're not trying to pretend that you get along. The perfect 25th of December doesn't end global conflict, climate crisis. It doesn't address gender inequality or end poverty. It also doesn't make all your wishes come true so that you can start January 1 with all your troubles liberated. I wonder, what would happen if we we removed all of the pressure that we heap on the 25th of December? If we stop looking for that quick win and the Christmas miracle, what would we be left with? For one, we'd still have this story. This will be the 16th straight Christmas I've preached on Luke chapter 2. I love this story. I've pulled it apart, gone back to the original Greek. I know the context and setting of all of the main characters, except for the angels. I'm not sure how I can understand what it means to be an angel, but I'm working on it. I'm pretty sure I've heard and considered all of the main arguments for and against the authenticity, the authorship, the originality, and the historicity of this passage. Yet, I find myself inexplicably drawn to this passage year after year after year in new and surprising ways. But this year, I didn't have a desire to pull it apart again. This year, I just wanted to experience Christmas to the fullest. I normally don't wear my Christmas socks until Christmas Eve. But this year, I started wearing Christmas socks in November. I got this stunning Christmas jacket in September. I've been thinking about this Christmas longer than I have ever thought about Christmas before. Because I've realised Christmas is not a quick win. It's a long game. One of my favourite podcasts is The Rest is History. Their latest episode is conveniently on Jesus, just in time for Christmas. It's refreshing to hear Respected historians say there's more reliable source evidence that Jesus actually existed than there is for Alexander the Great or Cleopatra, yet no one questions if they really existed. Regardless of what you might think about how this story comes together, historical sources are for many in our world today important. And on this podcast, they'll often say regarding 
historical sources that if you find something that doesn't seem to fit but is of no obvious benefit to a stakeholder in the account, then it actually increases the probability that it actually happened that way. So I decided to apply that filter to Luke chapter 2. I could see potential benefit to the early church in much of the fine detail of Luke 2. But I couldn't find a good explanation for making shepherds the first witnesses. There is shepherd imagery running through the Old Testament, but in Israel at that time, you would never call a shepherd to be a witness because they lacked both credibility and reliability. And at the other end of Luke's gospel, you find something very, very similar. Women are the first witnesses to the resurrection. In the highly patriarchal society of Israel, women weren't able to give evidence in court because they also weren't seen as reliable. The believability of Luke's story is not enhanced in any way by including shepherds at the beginning and women at the end as witnesses. It made the orderly account he was putting down less believable at the time. When I took a deeper look at this passage again, I noticed that the story that we heard this morning is not about Mary, Joseph, Caesar, censuses, angels, mangers, or Bethlehem. They're all in the background. These 20 verses are about two main things. A child being born and the experience of the first witnesses. Shepherds would have had nothing to gain but everything to lose by leaving their flocks. The shepherds experience something that they don't expect, that no one would believe. They experience the incarnation, the birth of God, the birth of God into the world. The fancy church word for that is incarnation. But they experience Christmas and they are changed. They return to their flocks with all of their challenges and problems that they had before. They haven't gone anywhere. But now they're glorifying and praising God. Something they probably rarely if ever been able to do in the temple because they weren't there, weren't welcome there because the purification rituals for a shepherd would have been so prohibitive that they would have had to have given up their career of being a shepherd, at least for a season to go to the temple. 
they take the experience of the incarnation, the birth of God into the world, back to their very ordinary, messy, dangerous, and difficult lives. But they are now bearers of the Christ child in a similar but different way to what Mary was. These shepherds witnessed God's surrender to humanity in the form of a helpless baby. And they accepted the invitation to surrender to God in praise and worship, following their experience. It strikes me that surrender is the complete opposite to trying to curate a Christmas that provides a quick win and gives the veneer of the perfect Christmas. I just finished Bono's memoir, and in it he says, the only true way to be victorious is to surrender. And as I thought about that, I realised the only way to really win at Christmas is to surrender. To, to, to surrender to it. Do not try and curate something that becomes a temporary bubble of unreality. Surrender regardless of whether you are in the right place at the right time with the right people, eating the right food and giving the right gifts. Surrender when things are going really well. But surrender especially when things are not. Luke 2 is not the familiar and comfortable words of, that we might think it is. It is the scandalous account of how God surrenders to humanity and the radical experience of those who witness it. If you want to know what the long game of Christmas is, it's this. God's surrender to humanity and the invitation for humanity to surrender to God. That's the long game of Christmas. It's a game that has been going since the beginning, and it will keep going for all of eternity. You may not have had surrender on your Christmas list of things to do this year to create the perfect Christmas. But the invitation is there. The invitation will always be there. Happy Christmas. Amen. Would you join us as we sing our next carol?